iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Envious of our colleagues who are at the uh, Conservative Party conference in Manchester. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was that convincing? No. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose, uh, in all fairness, I haven't ever been to any party political conference. I wouldn't want to go to Labour and I don't want to go to a Conservative. Is that balanced enough? What, so you're going to go to the Lib Dems? No, I'm not. I don't really want to go. But the problem with uh, being a journalist, and loosely speaking, we both are... Well, it... speak for yourself. I can bring my certificate in tomorrow. OK, you see, I don't have any qualifications in journalism, but you do, don't you? I don't know, actually. I mean, I've done I've done the BBC's course, That'll but I, I actually don't think we did get a certificate at oh. the end of it. Well, you've done a proper training course. I believe so. Yeah, and I didn't. Don't poke, dude. No, I'm <laughs> not going to ask you much. to bring your certificate in. It's too too late in the in the day in terms of our professional partnership <laughs> for me to start questioning your credentials. Um, but I could never, whilst I'm really interested in politics, I could never envisage a situation in which I could join any political party ever. Is that OK? Not because uh, I, I, I truly believe there are decent people in all British political parties, with the obvious exception of, you know, the <laughs> loony far right or whatever. Um, I, I truly do believe that. But I could never sign up to a set of beliefs because I change my mind so often. Hmm. So I just I just couldn't do it. But are you not interested to see the people who do? Because I'm yeah, not oh, a, yes, a I'm veteran of party just... conferences at all. But the but the the two that I've been to, the the, the <clears> absolutely <throat> memorable thing that will stay with me forever is that feeling in the hall yeah. of people being wrapped by whoever it is on the stage and being part of this kind of really uh, fertile club you know that then fertile goes on well actually not in the back rows they're all mostly asleep um, but that idea that you are all vaguely facing the same way and then you're terribly interested in the bit that's gone off here and gone off there and what have you and then there are loads of people who are just trying to get away from their partners and wives and just get drunk for the couple yeah. of days um, so I get that I I mean you can get that as a really good gig can't you you don't, Very need, much you so. don't need to go to a party you conference. don't need to overnight in a travel lodge for that yeah. Jane uh, you really don't and we've both enjoyed the footage of Pretty Patel. I was told she was dancing with Nigel Farage. In fairness, they were dancing alongside each other. Completely different thing. Yep. And Nigel uh, Farage is definitely, uh, he's done those moves before, hasn't he? Because he's very confident in his moves. Yes, and I mean. Actually, will, Pretty looks a bit less so. Will Strictly come calling? Tell you what, uh, if I were one of their booking producers, um, certainly be uh, 
wonder if they've asked him. So they have done politicians. Yeah, that's what I mean. They? That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Jackie Smith. Arguably, yes, and Ed Balls, and arguably Nigel Farage has had more impact, whether you like him or not, and whether you like his opinions or not, has had more impact on Britain and its political scene than just about anybody else you could care to mention mm. in the last decade or so. Yeah. Do you think he'd have to pause halfway through and have a fag? Yes, he'd have to have he's a gas. He's one of the most notorious still smokers of his generation. Yeah. Oh, well, he? he's all woke, isn't it? You see, he's, he's not woke, so he likes to have a puff on his fags. Yeah. Anyway, look, we're he here, won't be everybody. told. He won't be curtailed. We're not going to conferences. Uh, we are here all this week, all next week, and uh, we're quite glad that we are. Uh, dear Jane and Fee, I'm a fan, borderline girl crush, so thank you, massively appreciated. Whoops, I've read out the nice bit at the beginning there, Never Jane. Never do that. Uh, I love the French graveyard herbal tea book, hence I don't automatically assume my tastes would align to Jane. I share a birth sign and a Chinese sign with Fee. However, I adore the archers. Happiness personified for me is a walk with my dog and an omnibus catch-up. Yeah. A book that keeps coming up in recent storylines is Lark Rise yes. to Candlefoot. <laughs> it seems to be associated in a storyline with young women reading and going back to education and or a deeper appreciation of country life forward slash ecological concerns. All good, but being truly honest, I'm not sure I have an interest in reading this. Have either of you read it? I haven't. No, I read it at school and I remember it to be uh, absolutely full of nature and so dull I can't remember anybody in it. Sorry. It's by Flora Thompson, isn't mm. it? I, yes. And, and wasn't it adapted for It was on telly, TV? I think, uh, was it Judy? I think Judy Dench was think, in it. And Dawn French was in it In too. a bonnet. They yeah. were wearing bonnets. And yeah. it is all bonnety. And or is that something else altogether? Bucolic idols and stuff like that, isn't it? Um, bucolic idols, I don't do those. Um, but why is it in the archers? Because it is because some um, even I, I know that you are defiantly uninterested in the archers, and yet they crop up on off air quite frequently. And I do love them. And like our correspondent, there's nothing I enjoy more than a bumper bundle omnibus edition. Um, but some of the characters in the archers, in a slightly disappearing up their own Ambridge fundament, have done a version of Lark Rise to Candleford, which actually became available in my podcast feed today. And I won't listen to it because I, I'm not interested in mashups and I don't like I don't like these tangential things. I like the archers to stay in Ambridge doing their thing. I won't even listen to Jill Archer's Here I Here I Am Making Mince Pies podcast, which she did a couple of years ago because I just want them to stay on message and in the show. Okay, so it's like they're doing a collab. So it's like when yes. when Coldplay do something with Ed Sheeran. Yeah, it's just it's just a bit it's a bit meta mm. weirdly and I and I I don't like it. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm just very uneasy. Can I just say uh that that is going to make me even less likely, Sarah, uh, to ever listen to The Archers because the idea that it's done a mashup with a book that was so boring at school <laughs> that I can't remember any of the characters in it is not calling to me. Sorry about that. The content people really need is my pepper mill. Uh, actually, it just reminds me, you know when um, you go to, used to go to an Italian restaurant? Oh, with the enormous, great big pepper mill. We had, I'm not going to name it because it's still going, actually. We had an Italian restaurant near us in that's Liverpool. Always, that's always so funny. 
they bring it over. It's just like, am I being filmed by Ant and Deck? Yeah. It's well, the size of a small child. A six foot long peppermill <laughs> would be brandished by someone who knew full well what they were doing. And it was all just a little bit OTT. And that's why I would never put Italy in my top three European countries. Quite like the food. Um, but they, um, no, they're, they're, they're minxes. Absolute minxes. Or they were, I wonder whether in this new woke society fee, that's not allowed anymore. What do you think? What, you can't have a grande peppermill? <laughs> Rishi Sunak will reassure us tomorrow that there's going to be no ban on those big pepper mills. <laughs> oh, if anyone's got one at home, can you photograph it? You know, just put something really, really tiny beside it for yeah. comparison, so please. We've, so we've got an idea. Um, anyway, this is from Vicky, our regular correspondent in France. Um, this is the You were asking a question yesterday, Peugeot, <laughs> who made my pepper mill. Is it the same Peugeot? And it is. Peugeot started as a family-run flour mill who diversified into cars. I mean, this is just amazing. In 1840, they made their first coffee mill. In 1850, they diversified with crinolines, making at one point, says Vicky, 24,000 a month, uh, a fashion that came over from England before later experimenting with cars, bikes, sewing machines and, of course, pepper mills. I'm sorry, I'm really struggling to work out the crinolines in that. I mean, the other ones have got kind of uh, essential moving parts. But why the crinoline? Well, obviously, it's just a way to make money. Um, Vicky has a theory about my mill. Uh, the grinder won't be able to mill the peppercorns evenly because white, pink, black or other colours have a different hardness. I think we might be losing the audience here, Vicky. I'm interested, so I'm going to take that home and I'll study it in my own time. Have you been putting racially diverse peppercorns into your pepper grinder? That's another thing about woke <laughs> Britain, isn't it? You used to be able to just get one colour and now they're all... Oh, God, it drives me mad. I still think you need to take it into a garage and then I think you need to ask the receptionist how many people have ever come into the Peugeot garage with their pepper grinder. Joe in Salisbury has got a very, very entertaining tale, which I think you had heard before, but I never had. Oh, I love this. Uh, yeah. It's about bounty bars, and uh, Joe has gone in search of a fabulous story that appeared on Pop Bitch, which is a kind of mm. uh, blog of various well, gossipy bits and pieces from the world of gossip. Yeah, scurrilous showbiz and sometimes politics news. Um, I do subscribe to Pop Bitch. It, uh, <laughs> it appears every Friday evening. And sometimes it's right on track and you actually learn something usually about 24 hours before it's generally known. Yeah. It's one of those journalist sites that you should then never, ever repeat on air what you've read on the pop bitch until it's been published by at least two other people. I featured in it. Doing what? Uh, I was in pop bitch because... (laughs) It's said and it's true. I was going through a difficult, challenging phase in my life and I was listening to um, Life is a Roller Coaster by Ronan Keating once a day and they included it. And that was it. That made pop bitch. Okay. Uh, so Joe in Salisbury has found something else on the site <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, writes, I went to a school in Windsor Great Park that often had royal visits on very special occasions, 100th anniversary of the school, that kind of thing. There was also a special day at Ascot Racecourse where just before Christmas the Queen would stand in a sleigh and hand out chocolates for the children from a big sack and that's why we loved her. My sister got to the front and asked Her Majesty for a specific chocolate but every time the Queen found one she had exclaimed 
that it was broken, put it back and look for another. This continued for ages while my sister stood, paralysed with nerves, too scared to explain to the Queen of England that a bounty is actually two <laughs> small bars in one wrapper. Yeah. Thanks for keeping me entertained. I love that story. Yeah. I still can't find any dark chocolate bounty bars for you. So uh, you're just going to have to give up on that one. I am a bit sorry about that because they are a particular delicacy, those. Well, I wonder whether they've done that very canny thing where they've announced that they're not going to make them anymore so everybody rushes around looking for them and then suddenly they make a yeah. huge batch due to popular demand. <laughs> Let's see, shall we? No, yeah. no flies on us, are no, 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 very much not. We're wise to all their wicked ways. Um, I really want to read, read some of this email. Can't read all of it, um, but the sender um, will understand why. Um, and I just think it comes from uh, a very interesting place, and it's somebody who wants to talk about breast cancer. This is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And our correspondent says, um, I need people to know what it's like having cancer when you're younger and then also a little bit about life after cancer. It is not as advertised. The really hard stuff isn't about what you see on television or on adverts covered in pink bows. Yes, every single hair on my body did fall out. I felt grim during chemo. Abrupt medical menopause was, well, let's just say intense. And the pandemic was a nightmare for people who were having cancer treatment and shielding with a small child. But after the hair grows back and the scars heal, then you get the hardest part. You stop to look at what you've been through or what is there left of me after I dissolved. Uh, I've taken stock of the life I had and of the life I wanted to build. And then the biggest question is, what is to come? Um, I feel angry, says our listener, about the things that I have lost, like the chance to have a second child or the ability to work full-time and catapult myself up the career ladder or even just read a book because I feel bone-crushingly tired all the time. I have to rest most afternoons. Fortuitously for me, there is some OK entertainment between three and five, between Mondays and Thursdays these days. But most of all, I just feel terrified all the time that the cancer will come back. Um, and she just goes on to say that um, a lot has happened and her illness has had a particular impact on her son who has just had a really tough time and has also exhibited some some challenging behaviours. Uh, and she also acknowledges that her husband has been absolutely brilliant, uh, but he's had a wildly difficult time, she says. I was diagnosed four months after our wedding day. So we couldn't have a honeymoon, an uncomplicated sex life, adventures and excitement of reclaiming life after the baby years are over. Instead, my handsome husband became a carer, which he wasn't well prepared for. He was scared and stressed, but didn't have many people to talk to. Our relationship is strong. In fact, it's beautiful, but it's been truly tested. I am grateful to him for always, always staying by my side. He reminds me how to breathe when I feel like I don't know how. We do have each other and we have our son and a few very good friends who've held us through it all. But together, this is really, really tough. It would just be nice to go to the cinema together occasionally. Um, she's also suffering from, from awful anxiety. So um, I, don't, I can't fully empathise because I haven't been through this experience. I do know people who have. And I'm really glad that you've just told us about the the really difficult stuff that sometimes doesn't get acknowledged uh, we sometimes do view breast cancer weirdly through through this through this pink ribbon prism which is one way of looking at it and which is very effective and which i think raises awareness and money both of which are hugely important 
But this tough stuff does need to be talked about, doesn't it? Yeah, and do you know what, Jane? I really feel for people who aren't having the kind of redemptive experience that can be amplified. And I'm not wishing to upset anybody who has had a particularly breast cancer and decided to share their story with the world. There is a happy ending for you if you are able to share your story with the world. And I think everybody by this stage of life knows someone who has not had the happy cancer ending. Mm. They have died. So I really feel uh, uh, with our correspondent on being able to acknowledge more the dark side of cancer and it just must be very difficult when you see around you a kind of... It's never a celebration, I'm not saying that at no, all. No. But it is the story that you can come through it, that you change your life, that you are empowered by still being alive. And of course all of those things may be true for you. But there are people who have to stay locked in a very miserable place because they simply feel unwell. I mean, the medication that you have to take in order to stay cancer-free, a lot of people's experience of that is that they feel about 85 years yeah, old exactly. forever. Yeah. So if you're running around after a young child as well, when your fatigue and your sickness level is still so high, uh, I, I really feel, I really, really feel for you. I don't think that that story can be told uh, often enough, actually. And it's almost reassuring to hear it, Jane, don't you think? Well, I'm really glad that um, she felt able to unburden herself a little bit and just, just get it out of her system. You are, by the way, I'm not going to mention your name, but you're a brilliant writer. I mean, you write just brilliantly about your experience. Uh, she says, I feel like choking sometimes when the fear comes. It takes over my brain on the anniversaries of the diagnosis, sometimes when I'm trying to meditate, just when I'm watching trash television and a lazy cancer plotline randomly kills off mom. Or it can happen in a work meeting during Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the person opposite me is wearing glittery pink eyeshadow and when I walked into the office where I used to be a hotshot before becoming uh, has been. That's how she describes herself. I'm sure you're not, by the way. Well, you're not. I mean, let's let's say that. Yeah, but but when you're feeling completely different mm. to how you felt before, and you know you haven't, you know, you haven't had that experience where something else has rallied inside you, or you've been lucky enough not to have been so terribly affected by the operation and the scars and stuff. Uh, so thank you, as Jane says, uh, it's really. It's good to hear that unburdening and we're always here for all of those stories that don't have, you know, a nice kind of bow around them. That is very much what we're here for, isn't it? Totally, totally. It really is, actually. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Should we bring in Esther at this point? Well, can I just say something about vaginas and penises? Yes. <laughs> because Andrew has written a very thoughtful, quite oh, yes. short email. I'm an 81-year-old male listener, and that's fantastic, actually, Andrew, because when we first started this whole shebang, I don't think that was the demographic that we thought we'd managed to catch. No, but we're delighted to have you, Andrew, and as we often say, we're delighted to have anybody. Let's face it, some of the gibberish I come up with... <laughs> Pepper mills. Um, we're delighted to have anybody. Carry on. Yeah. Do you have to put a battery in your pepper mill? No, you've asked Is it that. rechargeable? No. Carry on. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm an 81-year-old male listener who totally understands the awkwardness of saying vagina and penis out loud as mentioned today. Learning Latin at the age of 14 or 15, the V word appeared in a section I was translating orally in a full classroom. Although I and no doubt others had seen it coming, we had time to translate beforehand. Quite logically, it means sheath. I love that word. Mm. Sheath. Lovely. However, it did not take away the embarrassment we all felt. As to the male bit, the kindness, the kindest I know, so you were asking for proper other names for yeah. Todgers, is when going to the loo, it was often referred to as going to shake hands with a friend. You could use the Latin columna, but that's a bit pretentious and I think actually a bit <laughs> I think so too. Can I say, I do think it is a bit pretentious, Andrew. (laughs) Yes, would you like to look at Boris Johnson probably uses that. Which is enough to put anybody off. Anyway, Uh, with thanks to you both in either order, I've followed you for years, and your order in my head is the original Fee and Jane, but it doesn't really matter. And it really doesn't matter at all, actually. And thank you very much indeed for that, Andrew. Now, other people, don't be coy, because I thought actually that our email inbox would be full of people telling us what they called their todgers and their households, but it's only Andrew. Only Andrew's risen to the chat. Challenge. <laughs> you want to let that one hang in the air for a bit longer? <laughs> Introduce Esther. No, you do it. Okay. Because you're making me work very hard for the money today. Right. What would you call it? Oh. Well, um, I it was one of the things I really couldn't stand about Lady Chatterley's lover. It was that whole John Thomas thing. Okay. That? Yeah. I can't really get that out of my head. Okay. Well, wasn't really an answer to the question. You'll have spotted that. <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. I'll get it out of her and I'll drop it in at a coded moment. Oh, I've got to do a Cheltenham read first. The Cheltenham Literature Festival has a fantastic lineup of speakers this year, including some rather familiar voices from Times Radio. Cathy Newman will broadcast her show from the Cheltenham stage this Friday and will be there on Monday chatting to the Strictly Judge Shirley Ballas. You can join in the audience to buy your tickets. Go to cheltenhamfestivals.com slash literature. Big interview now. 
It's hard to underestimate, and we should not, the impact of Dame Esther Ranson's life and career. From That's Life, with its never bettered but very much imitated combo of hard news and suggestive vegetables, to the huge importance of child line and then the silver line, Esther is a doer. Now, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in January of this year, and she has been customarily honest about it. She also wrote to us recently on this podcast because she listens and we're thrilled that she does. She wanted to complain about our interview with Rory Stewart in which he was challenged about about whether he and his co-presenter, Alistair Campbell, talked enough about and two women on their podcast and that made Esther annoyed. So we asked her if she fancied a chat with us and then we totally forgot to ask her about that, just being honest there myself. <laughs> we did, though, start by asking her how she is at the moment. Well, you see, I'm in a constant state of not knowing which is uh, what I didn't realise is that you get treatment and then you get a scan and then you get a treatment and then you get a scan. And in between the scans, you're in a state which is, I gather, now understood to be scanxiety. So as I speak, I don't know how I am. So I suppose I'm in a state of scanxiety. And how do you think you have coped with all of the increasingly honest knowledge about the state of your health? Because from the outside looking in, it would seem that you have been as remarkable and honest, really, as ever. Well, that's very kind of you. I always assume I'm in a state of denial because I've always thought denial was the perfect way to get on in life, you know, not notice. So that's what I try and do. But every now and then... Um, I, someone asks me a question and I answer it. So I suppose that stops me being in complete denial. What impact is it having, Esther, on your daily life? Um, well, the, the major change in my life is that I'm now living in the New Forest and that was caused by COVID. I would, I don't think, ever have made that decision. I don't think I would have dared to. I thought the whole of my existence was bound up with buzzing around London. And I was completely wrong because the New Forest has always been my favourite place since I was eight years old, actually, when, interestingly, I came here for convalescence. I stayed with a cousin. And the sheer magic of a forest with ponies and pigs and sheep and cows roaming at will was so lovely that from then on I began to count the days until I could live here. And then... I got into this strange sort of whirly gig. And so when Desi, my late husband, Desmond Wilcox, said to me once, I think we'd better retire to the New Forest, I said, don't you think we'd get terribly bored? But not for the first time, not for the last. He was right. I was wrong. (laughs) And I haven't been bored for a moment because it's so lovely to live here. So I think it was really COVID that changed my situation. And then, of course, um. I'm 83. I knew I had to die of something. And it turns out this is what I'm going to die of, probably. Yes. Um, and it is only probably, isn't it? Uh, yes. I could um, stride into the middle of the road and get knocked down by some of the speeding cars. We have a a speed limit here of a 30 at most. But some people, particularly driving white vans, I do not wish to be vanished but particularly those in white vans seem to go at fantastic speed so I could walk in front of them all and given the gales 
Yeah. One of the many trees could fall on my head, so you can never be sure, can you? Well, I'm not. I, I should have made it clear. I'm not wishing death upon you um, imminently, or indeed at any time. But of course, as you acknowledge, it is. It's a reality for all of us, and I, I wonder, Esther, whether you believe that um, as a society we're just we're still not quite there in acknowledging this and talking about our own mortality. Well, do you want to? Well, I, I think... mean, I don't. I don't enjoy it, to be honest. Well, why... me... okay. Tell me why you don't. Well, because you know, life is interesting and full of adventure, and the Great British Bake Off has just started again, and a wonderful new reality show specialising in being kind and featuring older people called My Mum, Your Dad is yeah. happening on our screen. There's a lot to talk about besides the fact that we're all going to die. And so if we made you, if we put you in charge of things, and and quite often, Esther, I think you are uh, in charge of things anyway, but if we gave you, you know, the, the magic wand of government, actually, what would you be doing at the moment? Ah, oh, that's interesting. Well, at the moment, as we speak, I'm particularly interested in the new survey that's come out. Um, Select Committee, I think, on education brought it out probably today, this morning, it was in all the news, about why children aren't going to school, um, or indeed a number. I think it's something like a fifth of children are missing school, and why is that? And, you know, there's been a lot of interesting theories about lockdown and all kinds of things. But with my childline background, I say, let's listen to what the children tell us. And what the children tell us quite often is that um, they find school difficult. For example, if you take the young male animal boys, they're not built to sit in one place at a desk for eight hours on end, stretching their brains, are they? They want to stretch their muscles and limbs and run around a bit. So I think if I were prime minister right now, I would say, let us drill down into this survey because they did they did consult children i'm pleased to see and see what the children say about ways that we can improve children's lives at school by giving them stuff that isn't purely academic stuff like drama and sport and music and make sure that bullying is dealt with and make sure that people with children with special needs like dyslexia are properly supported. So that's that's top of my list. Well, I think that's a very good place to start. I'd love you to do all of those things. I'm interested as well, Esther, that you noted the My Mum and Dad programme on TV, which I think Jane and I have been enjoying too. Uh, as you do get older and older, do you think that our society is as welcoming as it should be to what is an increasingly large number of people living longer. One of the reasons why the TV programme has been so loved is because there just aren't very many shows uh, that actually detail the real lives of anybody over about 35. Quite right. And the other thing that people do is when they do surveys, when when there are medical surveys, it all stops at 70. Mm. Through score years and 10, I think we're all supposed to be invisible, inaudible, and fall off our perches at 70. So what you say is absolutely true. It was very unusual. But mind you, <laughs> these were all people known as midlifers, weren't they? The, the people that whose children were trying to 
find suitable mates for them. Um, so they were regarded as terribly old in television terms, but that, as you <laughs> rightly say, is because they were 35 plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so bearing... imagine, imagine if if they'd been 65 plus. Can you imagine? Oh, 75 plus. Why not? Um, bearing longevity in mind, what about mm. the triple lock on pensions? Yes, indeed. What about that? Well, I um, wrote a letter to one of the papers suggesting that if they give us a minister for older people who will advocate for us and stop us being treated as various kinds of problem. I, I know one of the ministers responsible referred to the graph of doom which meant that we were living longer. Can you imagine? The graph of doom. Anyway, if we could have a, a minister who who turns that round and regards us as a, as a resource and, and, you know, a generation to be treasured, then I'm prepared to reconsider the triple lock because some people might not need it. Mm. We actually just need a minister for old age, don't we? Yes. I mean, you've got a, you've got a commissioner for children, Wales have, has had a commissioner for older people for ages and ages and very active, doing all kinds of campaigns. But um, I think I blame my generation in the 60s who turned all our attention toward the youth, YOOF, mm. and um, got very bored with the fact that it was older people in all the important um, roles. I don't know if, if you remember, but the BBC in the 60s and 70s, before you were born, probably. No. Um, all the, all, no, so she coldly. Um, no, no, I'm, listen, I'm 59, Esther, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. So you should be, and wait till you're 69, you'll be prouder still. <laughs> you know you're old when you mention your age and the audience applaud you. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, I am old enough to remember, was it Annie, the lady in Shepherd's Bush Market, who used to light um, up That's Life? Yes, yes. We discovered her by chance, aged 86, and there she was in her glasses and her brown felt hat and yeah. her woolly winter coat. And she looked as little like the stars of Love Island as can be imagined. Yeah. And she had a hundred times their charisma. Yeah because she was naughty and funny. I remember once I was offering her glasses of some sort of liquid. I said, "What? some of it's whiskey and some of it's brandy. Can you tell the difference? And she sang me a song about whiskey makes you frisky and brandy makes you... Yes. Do you know, I can't quite recall. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be coy, Esther. Last time we talked to you, you, uh, you entertained us with the notion that you might try and get a new kind of That's Life commissioned and you'd like the title of it to be Winking with Esther Ranson. Do you remember that? <laughs> Whatever happened to Winking with Esther Ranson? <laughs> well, I think I think it was um, someone did try it, but it's a jolly difficult programme to make. That's, you know, walking the tightrope we walked and also researching viewers' letters, they'd be emails today, from scratch is quite labour-intensive. Mm. And um, I don't think I was ever off duty during the run of the show because people would ring me up and talk to me wherever I went. And it was always worth listening, always important to listen. So it was fun. We've got a WhatsApp group now called Lifers or That's <laughs> Lifers. Yeah, that's brilliant. I bet there's some stuff on that. Yes, lots of reminiscence. And uh, my lovely daughter, Rebecca, is going through some of the old letters that 
I used to get and that I used to reply to. And and she's got a, an extremely loud and filthy laugh. And uh, it's a pleasure to hear it. Right. Is that a safe place to post images of oddly shaped fruit and veg then, Esther, if I come across anything at Shepherd's Bush Market? <laughs> yes. Well, you see, that's the one good thing about Brexit, isn't it? That um, we're not liable to the important rules put out by the EU, including there should be no odd-shaped vegetables. Yes. I, always yeah. I think they changed their mind after a while. I think we probably wore them down. Yes, mm. that's absolutely I right. Esther, Good, it's, so, it? it's so lovely to talk to you. We really appreciate you making time in your day and uh, we really wish you well too. And I'm so glad you're in the New Forest. I actually didn't know that, but what a beautiful, beautiful part of the world to be in. Aren't I lucky? Yeah. Aren't I lucky? Yes. Yeah. I, well, thank you and more power to the pair of you. The absolutely wonderful and glorious Esther Ranson. So she might be quite surprised if she's downloaded the podcast to hear herself in it, do you think? Um, she might be. Mm. Yeah. Well, I hope she's enjoyed hearing herself. Well, I would imagine so. You, you know this stuff about the Brexit rules and the no wonky vegetables? Yep. Well, you know, Therese Coffey has said at the Tory conference this bit, but it's come back again. Bendy bananas. It's back. Yeah. It's like living in a... It's just a very strange place at the moment, isn't it? Well, I think it is. And let's get a, a tiny bit um, political and serious for a moment. There's quite a lot that's come out of the Tory party conference that if you you know, were coming to after a particularly hefty night out, mm. you might think, blimey, it's 1989. I mean, there has been... 1978. Uh, you know, m mentions of uh, single parents yeah. and the damage that they might be doing to the benefits system. There's a inference about people who are living on benefits who really should be back into work. And that's different to what we were being encouraged to call only a month or so ago, the economically inactive, mm. which is a different and less loaded term for maybe the same kind of people. Mm. And the bendy bananas, you're right. I mean, bendy bananas was, was kind of front page of the sun when? 20, uh, 30 years ago? It, 20 yeah, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think it probably was. Yeah. It must be that. That buses, bananas. At one point there were stories about Europe banning prawn cocktail crisps. Yeah. So it is It is a funny uh, one. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a certainly, a, a, well, it's a recurring one. That's for sure. I just don't know, Fee. I don't know what's Do happening. Do not know. No. Well, look, we've got the Labour conference next week and there'll be plenty to talk oh, about there. and there'll be lots of balance because there's plenty there that will get on my wick. Um, I want to do a hard recommend to um, Boiling Point, which Fee hasn't watched and I don't know why she hasn't. Well, you know why I haven't because I told you before. <laughs> OK, well, can't reveal why. Um, but I am really enjoying it. But if anybody works in a restaurant and they want to say what they think, well, I don't know, you, you've ever worked in, in restaurants, is it as stressful as portrayed in Boiling Point, which is behind the scenes in a restaurant kitchen, basically. And I think it's done really well, but then I've never worked in a restaurant, so I don't know. Uh, my youngest daughter is a waitress um, in during uni holidays, and she has lots of stories, none of which I'll repeat yeah, But also, she's in a posh old wine bar, isn't she? It's not a wine bar. It's called something else. When she first started um, on her first shift, somebody asked what, what they'd recommend and what she'd recommend. Of course, she didn't know. So she just said, what I do is I just get the cheapest. Right. It's not actually a way. It's not really. <laughs> she talked to customers. But she thought it was all right. Yeah. No, and I'm sure 
I'm sure the cheapest was absolutely fine. <laughs> what was it? Oysters? <laughs> no, it was a glass. You should talk, it was asked for a wine recommendation. Oh, God. Well, I mean, the cheapest wine in central London, heavens above. Yeah. That will be a little bit spenny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, so uh, we've got pepper pots, we've got working in kitchens, names for your todgers. There's plenty to go on, kids, and we'll talk to you at the same time tomorrow. Bye now. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com